step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Exchange. My name is Scott, the Motor City Madmouth, and we're, tonight is a New England kind of theme as we welcome our newest guest to the uh, program, Steve Bellisteri. And uh, just so you know, folks, Steve is a writer for PatsFans.com and is also a member of the Professional Football Writers Association. Steve, can't thank you enough for being part of the broadcast, and hopefully we'll bring on uh, as time goes on. But this is your first act out here, and we're looking to having a lot of fun on the broadcast. And hopefully our New England uh, fan base will be able to uh, take in a lot of the great insights that you're about to provide for us. Thanks for being here, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, and you know I can never get enough about talking about football, especially nowadays with everybody with all the coronavirus stuff going on. I think all of us need a little distraction. Well, and alongside of me, as always, my co-host David Levin. David, how about that? The uh, dynamic. We have a three-man booth today with David, myself, and Steve. Well, so I don't know. I expect this to be a really great three-man booth. With that said, David. Go ahead. You have a bunch of questions you want to fire out with Steve, and I'll incorporate where necessary. Go on. Sure. Thanks. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Uh, I hope everything's going well for you and your family, uh, especially in today and what's going on in the world. Uh, but you're right. We need a little bit of a diversion. Uh, and, of course, football uh, can definitely do that, especially with uh, free agency still going on and the, the NFL draft that is uh, fast approaching. Let me start out by asking you this. I know that the state of the NFL draft is changed, where they're going to go to a virtual concept, meaning uh, one individual from each of the NFL teams is going to make a selection from a, a site location where you know they're going to have a cameraman and it's going to be digital and all these things. How does that affect a team like New England? Um, how does that affect a decision you know that is made? I know that you know it's Belichick and it's their scouts. And is this something that maybe transforms into the norm moving forward as far as technology in the NFL? That's a great question. And, you know, with, with Bill Belichick, he's always had a very, very small draft room. You know, you look back at some of those drafts in the past, and, and they have, you know, they always show a glimpse of different teams' draft rooms or war rooms, as they call it. <clears throat> and you'd see a lot of people in a lot of different draft rooms in the the Patriots have a really, really small one. Belichick doesn't like to have a lot of people in there that he doesn't feel needs to be there. And their feeling has always been that, you know, they pr- kind of made their decisions, and now they're just watching how the, the board, you know, falls into place. I don't think it's going to affect them that much. I really don't. Okay. It's funny you should say that because Belichick doesn't like a lot of people in the world room until um, – was relieved of his duties, Tom Coughlin, who was the uh, executive vice president of uh, football operations here in Jacksonville, didn't like a, a large room either. I think it was maybe four or five people at most, you know, with the team owner there and the general manager, but everything was kept close to the vest. Um, does this mean that, and, and I, I'm still learning 
Join the club. Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you this, Steve. The only thing I know about Zoom going into the Zoom thing is what I used to do up the interstates, and I used to Zoom a lot. I didn't care what part of the country I was in. Uh, Anybody that wants to accuse me of uh, having a lead foot, yeah, indeed, that's the case. But I don't know if you guys realize that there's 11 commandments and not 10, right? You know what that is? Well, there's actually 12. Okay, Uh, and you know what? You and you're free to use this on your. uh, Website, Steve. Thou shalt not get caught, and thou shalt not overspend. So, just I don't think Moses was alive back then when we created these. So that's why you have motor mouth doing it. So take it for whatever it's worth. But the Zoom part, you know, I can relate with the interstate, man. I love that foot, and it, I, t- to me, the uh, interstate is my version of NASCAR. Sorry, to interrupt you, but since Mr. Levin put Zoom out there, I did give you my version of it. Not only am I the Motor City Mad Mouth on the air, I'm the Motor. City mad, well, I can't say mad men because then I'd be talking about Ted Nugent. The Motor City led foot on the road, so go ahead, continue. So, <laughs> well, I'll tell you how about this. I'm, I'm Zoom old, and I remember that it was Morgan Freeman back in the 70s when I was watching it as a kid, you know, on PBS. But anyway, that's as far as I go with that. Um, I also thought that it was, you know, you were talking about how technology will change everything. I also thought they might revert back to. The way it was back in the early 80s, remember when we would get up in the morning and watch ESPN or whatever it was, and they won the ballroom in New York, and there was, you know, 
28 tables, and that was it. And then I thought it was going to be some production like that. I think this is going to be more. Uh, it will be theatrical, and it'll be interesting. But I'm, I'm curious to see what each team does, especially uh, if there's a glitch. And I, I do know that there's going to be something that's going to go on that's not going to be technically uh, uh, common, and will have some sort of issue with some sort of pitch. And of course, probably it'll be Jacksonville. Remember that shot. Yeah. At some point, Jacksonville's going to screw it up. But anyway, I, I agree with what Steve said. It's you're going to learn from this, and they're going to realize that maybe less is more and less is better. Um, can we change topic now and talk a little more about the Patriots? You're from your neck of the woods. Um, you guys have been a little busy this off season. Uh, to put it lightly. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about the elephant in the room. How shocked were you, number one, that he left, meeting Tom Brady? And how shocked were you that it was Tampa Bay, of all places, that he decided he wanted to play football? I think I was more shocked at the Tampa Bay. Um, thing than Brady leaving. I know, like, uh, around this time last year, I, I had a, a close source that was friends with Tom Brady and told me that there was a, a, an offer on the table for three years and about 75 million bucks. Right. And um, so we, we talked about that on the radio and then was uh, come to find out they pulled the offer back. And that's what I, I knew there was an offer, but I didn't know that they pulled the offer back. Well, see, that's what that's that. this is what the, the guy that I knew, the source that I knew, that told okay. me. He said, "Well, it was there, and they just hadn't put it on paper yet, and they pulled it back because they con- were convinced that they didn't want to commit to a 42 year old quarterback, and you know, for a long term deal." Through all this fiasco that went on, then it went through like OTAs and, and minicamp, and you know, of course, Brady was being asked about it all the time. You know, he kind of took the high road, but you could see everything changed around training camp when they decided to give that one-year deal with the house. And I think you could tell right then that Brady was was. Now he took the high road on Howard Stern, and he said, you know, he, he said all the right things and. Right, I, but, I, I saw that he, he, he walked the, the, line, the line real well. Let's just say yes. that. So. But um, you could tell he wasn't happy. <laughs> he, he was uh, he wasn't his normal self all through training camp and then all season. He, uh, I think you could see that. And the, the guy that I know, that, <laughs> uh, you know, close with the, his family, told me that at that time Tom was ticked and, 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 you know, he made up his mind he wasn't coming back. But... There was still that thought that, you know, cool heads were going to prevail. They were going to work us something out and, you know, bring him back in and he finished his mm-hmm. career here. And really, up until about a week before um, he announced he was leaving, I was convinced he was going to stay. Because the bottom line is they don't have anybody waiting in the wings that can replace him. Now, you know, everyone likes Jared Stidham, what they saw in him, but uh, let's face it, he's not going to be Tom Brady. And they didn't no. bring in any, you know, other little veteran retreads that are out there. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, they're going to roll with Jared Stidham, that's fine. But you can't convince anybody that they're going to be better off for it, at least in the short term. No, I, don't, I, don't, I definitely don't think so. To, to um, add to that, you know, the Brady Belichick era, 
is one of the greatest in NFL history, if not the best. And you see other quarterback coaches or quarterback, you know, general managers or whatever over the years, you know, Marino and Shula, um, you know, Staubach and Landry. Will there ever be a combination like Brady and Belichick in this era again, given the difference in, in you know, players and athletes and, and time? Are we going to see that again? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I, I look at Andy Reid in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I, I think they could do that. Um, you know, it, it, a lot's going to have to fall into place. I mean, the Patriots, they, uh, Belichick was really, really good at, at building a team. And, you know, everyone talks about his drafts and whatnot. But, you know, that's just part of team building. And he's always been really good at finding you know, pieces that fit within that team. I think Andy Reid has the opportunity as a very young quarterback who's outstanding. And I think, you know, he hasn't even reached his full potential yet. And Reid is an excellent uh, offensive coach, and I think they have a shot at doing it. Is it going to be easy? No, of course not. But, and a lot of things are going to have to fall into place. But, uh, yeah, I think it could happen again. Um, I'm going to – Okay, how about this? I, I want to very carefully word this so I don't I don't slip up. You know, Scott's teaching me well as we're going here. The Brady Belichick divorce, if you want to call it that, um, is is something that, that you know divides a city. You know, people are in favor of, of Brady and they love him, but you know he moved on. You know, Belichick has produced Super Bowl champions. How's the fan reaction been? You know, since since it was announced that yes, he isn't coming back, and then he went ahead and sent, you know signed the contract with Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, they, they, uh, the people up here, they've fallen into that. Uh, was it Brady or was it Belichick? It was neither. It was both. It was both of them. You, know, you have to have that relationship. And, you know, and, and even now, I mean, I see it now. Even some of the mainstream guys, you know, the beat writers, uh, you know, who, whose side are you on, Bills or Tom's? Well, on neither side. I mean, the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> those two had a great working relationship. I don't think they were ever really close, you know, as maybe like you, you remember when Elway and, uh, and Shanahan, those two were really, really close. I don't think Brady and, and uh, Belichick ever had that kind of relationship. I think that it stayed very professional. I think they, there was a lot of mutual respect there. I don't think they were ever, you know, like people say, oh, they this divorce. I don't think it was ever that kind of a relationship. I could be wrong. Well, I, I'm glad that you cleared, you cleared it up a little bit because you can't, it, and I'm going, I guess, as a fan, you really can't talk about one without the other. I mean, no. Brady, he's got his, you know, his gorgeous wife and, and the family and the, you know, the, 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 you know, the commercials and the everything. But you can't separate one without the other, which then brings me to my next question. Is, uh, first of all, will Belichick be able to continue the same kind of momentum maybe coming this year? And then how long do you think it'll be before he hangs it up? Yeah, I, he, he's been saying all along he doesn't want to coach when he's 70 years old. Right. Um, I think he's going to coach a couple more years. I think he, what he really wants is to get his son, you know, uh, kind of developed and kind of situated 
where they have their own career, and then I think he'll be ready to step down. Gotcha. I mean, we're seeing that. I mean, his uh, his son Steve had a, a very uh, it it wasn't a defined role officially, but mm-hmm. it seemed like he was doing all the play calling for the defense last year. And you know, if, if you've ever heard his son talk, he sounds exactly like his father. If he was on the radio, you'd swear to God it was Bill. I mean, he, he talks with the same kind of deadpan. He, he sounds like his father. But, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Bill, um, I think he's going to coach a couple more years. I, I really do. And, um, you know, because he still loves it. Uh, he approaches the game, you know, it, it, it to him, like he says, you know, training camp, this is what I look forward to teaching. He, he says that every year on the mm-hmm. first day. And, I will tell you. Oh, sorry. I can tell you, I would tell you that in Jacksonville, when they were waiting anxiously for both David Caldwell and Doug Marone to get the axe, which didn't happen, much to the dismay of both me and Scott, there were people on the radio here that honestly, I didn't realize that Steve was still was part of the staff, and I didn't understand the whole concept, but somebody said, why don't you go, you know, go get Steve Belichick, and, and one of the guys on the radio said, but he has a, a minor part, which goes, if you listen to him, and you hear him talk, talks his ex and nose, he sounds just like his dad, and that's the kind of demeanor Jacksonville needed. So they were talking about that here in the offseason. I mean, for, for, you know, a possible replacement for our guy who unexplicably still has a job here, which I'm not quite sure. I love I mean, Doug, Doug Rose is, a, is a great guy. I'm not sure how he still has a job, but we were talking about that you know, long before you know, that was even a possibility. Well, you know, it's funny when you mentioned Jacksonville, um, you know, the owner, Chatan, owns a team and uh, the English Premier League, uh, right. Fulham. Well, a good yeah. friend of mine covers uh, the Fulham team, uh, <clears throat> and uh, he does a podcast for Fulham or whatnot. Anyway, um, he got to interview Chatan, and he met his son, Tony. And Tony was talking to my friend over there in England, and he was talking about when the the Jaguars, you know, when they bought the Jaguars, that one of the people that they sought out was Bill Belichick. And right. He had, he had influence in it, yes. It was, yeah, and they said yeah. that, you know, uh, they were asking him, you know, a lot of philosophy questions of how to build mm-hmm. the team and, you know, and um, the cons, uh, I guess, really... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm very impressed with Belichick. And uh, 
like there was a time there that I was thinking if Bill's going to leave, he might go to Jacksonville. But then they brought in Tom Coughlin, who's also, you know, him and Bill are really close, and you know, right. they, that Parcells, you know, you know, thing there. That tree. That's an amazing yeah. tree. Yep. Oh, what, what a you know, I I was looking back. It wasn't too long ago that 19, I think it was, what, 1990 Super Bowl, and I'm looking at that coaching staff, and I was like, oh, my God, look at all the names on that coaching staff. Right, yeah. It was quite impressive. Yeah. So what happens now for you guys? Um, are we going quarterback in the first round, or are we going to try and bring another veteran, or are we staying where we are? They're going to stay where they're at. I think they're going to go defense in the first round of okay. the draft. Well, they might trade back. I mean, <clears throat> again, it all depends on how the board plays out. I wouldn't be shocked if the Patriots trade back into the second round because, you know, uh, they have the 23rd pick, and then they don't pick again until 87. Right. And I think that, that, that's a long way, you know, mm-hmm. between picks and where this, this draft is pretty deep. I wouldn't be shocked if Bill trades back into the second round and they pick something up in between there. Uh, you know, I, again, I mean, it's a crapshoot because there's so many variables. But I think they're actually going to go defense in the first with their first pick. I'll say that. Okay, to follow up with that, then I heard Jake Fromm was a guy that you guys were interested in the combine. Um, yes. Fromm's a guy from Georgia, and I, I followed him quite a bit. And I think that he's a good, serviceable quarterback, but I don't think he's ever going to be. You know, he's not going to light him up. Um, what are the possibilities of them maybe trading back into the second, you know, since they have a second-round pick, and maybe that's where they go? Or is that my off completely with that? I don't know. I mean, you know, with the Patriots, you never know what they're going to do because they're so close. They play everything so close to the vest. Um, right. I've heard that they really like Jake Fromm because, you know, you know, I don't, one of the coaches, it might have even been McDaniels, was uh, somebody overheard him uh, say something to if you're looking for a quarterback, Jake Fromm has everything above the shoulders that you're looking for. Meaning I think it was him. I think you're right on that one because that's yeah. how I read that as well. Yeah, I think I think it might have been McDaniels. I could be wrong. I don't, I, I don't want to quote him if he, if he didn't no, say that. I know. You know, we, uh, we here in Jacksonville were hoping for McDaniels here as coach as well. Um, that didn't happen. Um, I know that when he was interviewed originally, it was the deal that they had to keep Blake Bortles as a quarterback. And I know that I don't think uh, I don't think your offensive corner was too great about that. Um, but uh, you know, I'd love to see McDaniel here. But I know that that's probably that's a pipe dream. Um, let me ask you this too: there are three veteran quarterbacks out there, uh, Cam Newton. Uh, Jameis Winston and possibly Andy Dalton. Either one of those excites you at all? None. <laughs> well, I, you know, because you know, at the time, I said I wanted them to re-sign Brady. If they don't re-sign Brady, I want to see what they have in Jared Stidham. And if, if it doesn't work okay. out, then next year they're going to have oodles of room under the cap. And you know, if things don't work out this year, then. They'll have a little bit higher draft pick next year, and maybe they can move up and get themselves a Trevor Lawrence. No, that, no come on, that Jacksonville's getting that. Don't you know that? That's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're losing. We're, we're tanking for Trevor. Right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's exactly what you ask anybody here, and they'll tell you that. that you know, we made so many 
changes to the roster this year and let go of so many veterans that that's the only thing we can be doing. Um, just finally, did I know it's Scott wants to get in here too. I, um, that's okay. No problem. I'm loading up. Okay. Well, okay, I know. I got you. Keep on going. Hold on there. <laughs> um, the AFC East now has just changed. And, uh, you know, the, the stranglehold that, that Brady has had on the division for so long. Um, do, do the Patriots come in here still as a favorite? Or is it Miami? Or is it Buffalo? Or what, what, what is the national division? Oh, I think it's got to be Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo okay. pushed them last year, you know, right. and uh, at the end of the season, they had a really good game between the Patriots and Buffalo. Now, the, you know, Patriots are at home and they pulled that game out, you know, and they ended up winning the division again. But I think that Buffalo defense is very legit. I think they're outstanding. And, you know, they now they've surrounded their quarterback uh, with a lot of weapons. I think, you know, uh, it's time for Josh Allen to take that next step up. Um, there's a lot of people that don't believe in him. I, I kind of like him. He's not the most mm-hmm. accurate guy, but I think he, I think he's going to be just fine. I think Buffalo has to be the favorite to win the division next year. I know Patriots fans don't want to hear that, but you, know, you look at that team, they were really good last year, and they, they got better. They got Stephon Diggs now. Right. And then the final question, because you took, you picked Buffalo, what's your take on Brian Flores down in Miami? Because I think he is he is putting together the the foundation for a team that's going to be very dangerous in two years. Yeah, I, I loved it with him when he was up here, you know, and the players all just raved about him when he was the, right. the linebackers coach. They they just had a great feeling for him. They they really liked him. He was the de facto defensive coordinator, you know, Bill right. doesn't like to give that title, but he was the guy when he was here, and again, I mean, uh, the veterans, Hightower, Van Noy, you know, they, they just loved the guy, and, and I wasn't shocked to find, you know, Van Noy going down to Miami, I mean, you know. So that was uh, a that was, that's a perfect fit, wasn't it? I, mean, I thought it was. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's building a great program down there. It'll be interesting to see if he gets some uh, some offensive coaching for him because I know he's a defensive guy. And if he did, I, I, I was kind of surprised what they went with Chan Daly, but hey, we'll see how that works out. They they need a quarterback as well, but I, I think they're definitely trending in the right direction there. And I think I think B is going to do a great job for the Dolphins. Great, I appreciate it, uh, Scott. You're up. All right, ready, Steve. All right, All right. L- let's go ahead and talk about the uh, Steve Belichick and Bill Belichick. That situation has Bob Knight and Pat Knight written all over it over at Texas Tech. What are your thoughts about that comparison? The comparison of who? Uh, Pat Knight and Bob Knight. Remember Bobby Knight's uh, oh, son? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know much about Pat Knight, so... Um... I know, you know, uh, I, I don't want to speak out of turn there, so I think uh, I'll, I'll defer on that one. Well, no, the only reason why I'm bringing it up is the fact they had father passing the torch over to son, and that's the only reason why I mentioned the yeah. comparison to begin with. So, yeah, I, know I, you mean, t- I, think, I think Bill's going to pass it on to Steve. I really do. I, you know, there's some people up here that believe that it isn't going to be Josh McDaniels the next coach. Um, it's going to be his son. Interesting. Yeah, because that was one of my questions. So, 
But that said, you had the uh, you had Greg Popovich coaching Tim Duncan. A lot of people thought Greg would step down, and then, but Greg obviously stayed on because it looks like he wanted to see if he could win without Tim Duncan. How did that work out with Kawhi Leonard? I think Greg made the right call. So it's it's I guess the one thing that could probably challenge Belichick is the ability to say, you know, now I have a new challenge in front of me. Can I deliver without Tom? And just like Greg Popovich did with Tim Duncan. So do you see some comparisons in that sense? Yeah, I think you could you could make that argument. I, I think Bill was just, I think he's a football guy and he just loves the coach. He loves the game. I mean, he's, you know, for all the, the press conferences that people complain about, if, you know, the best ones are usually on the Fridays. When you get him talking about, because the, by then, you know, the game plan's in, and somebody asks him a question about football history, and then he'll go off for a long time. I think, you know, his love of the game isn't going to change. I think, you know, he, he just likes to compete. He loves to teach. He loves to coach. And I, I think the Brady thing with the, you know, win, wanting to win without him, I think maybe there's part of that. But I, I just think, you know, with, when it comes to Belichick, he just wants to win, period. Right. Okay. That's fair. So you talked about Josh McDaniels not being the head coach. Why do you think that is the case? I always thought that Josh apparent, McDaniels would be the heir apparent to Bill Belichick, which is why I think he spurned the Colts job, hoping that he would get that job. Although I know that there were no assurances that could happen. But, you know, again, the Colts uh, certainly were interested. Then he pulled out at the last minute. Yeah, I mean, I thought, for you know, the same thing. You know, they brought him back and uh, to groom him to be Belichick's replacement. I've just been hearing some some rumblings, you know, behind the scenes that perhaps Steve Belichick's ready to make that leap. I think it's a little soon for that, but you know, crazier things have happened. Okay. Can I ask a question real quick about that? If you don't mind. Go ahead. Was there was there ever a, was there ever an incident? Where or ever situation where McDaniel's was you know he, he left to go be the head coach in Denver and then he came back and there were other you know other teams that interviewed him was there ever a, a situation where either Belichick or Bob Kraft took him aside and said look this is going to be yours when it, when when Bill finally hangs it up is there any you know was that ever a discussion? We heard that that happened with the the Colts job. They made a last-minute, you know, pitch for McDaniel's to come back to be the heir apparent for Bill. And that's only at that time, or was there any other time that that happened? No, no, there was never, there was never any of that before. Okay. All right. So speaking of Josh McDaniel's, and I was really intrigued when I saw it. He brought in Tim Tebow, uh, and Tim Tebow, I guess, was. One of the last cuts. How was the? How did the New England fan base feel about the possibility of Tim Tebow being in the quarterback room? And I know Bob Kraft was definitely rooting for him. Yeah, I, I think people uh, at first were kind of, you know, I think they kind of poo-pooed that. No, they're not really bringing up Tim Tebow. And then you know, the, the skill set that he had didn't mess well with what the Patriots do. He struggled really bad at practice and 
but you know he's such a he's really a classic kid and yeah. uh, well, I say kid I'm a lot older than he is but uh, he's just a classy guy and you know he handled himself really really well I, I, I was there for some of his press conferences after practices during training camp and I kind of felt bad for him because some of the questions were kind of kind of rude I thought you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, being an NFL quarterback or whatnot, I thought he handled himself pretty well. And in, in the end, I think the fans kind of warmed to him. It's kind of – because they wasn't going to challenge Tom for the job. There was never even a, a question of that. There was no doubt. But, you know, I think everyone kind of wanted to see the kid succeed. And, you know, when he left, I think people kind of warmed to him a little bit. Okay. All right. So, how do you assess the job that Brian Flores is doing with Miami? I I think he overachieved his first year. Not everybody thought he was going to be tanking to try to go ahead and get that number one pick. But the Dolphins may have gotten off to a slow start. But boy, did they get it together uh, toward as the season progressed. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know one of the things about Flores and uh, that he shares with Belichick is that burning desire to win. They're not going to tank. You know, even though they started off 0-7, I mean, a lot of people thought the Dolphins were going to go 0-16 with the roster they had. Didn't they? And then, you know, down the stretch, they won five of their last seven or eight, I think it was. And, you know, I thought they played real well. Um, and his team played hard for them. They, they knocked the snot out of the Patriots in Week 17 in Foxborough and took away their bye week. So it shows you that his players didn't quit on him. I think they're building a great program down there. If yeah. they can get a quarterback and they get a good offensive coordinator in there that can work with the quarterback, I think the, the Dolphins are going to be just fine. Well, it's amazing. When we talk about the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots, I have to bring up a couple of interesting games. I remember the one time when they brought out the Wildcat and the Patriots were really quite caught off guard there. Yeah. Uh, were you at that game, or what were your thoughts when they brought out that Wildcat gimmick? I remember that game. Well, I wasn't at that game. I was I, I, actually I was at home watching it, and at the time I was I was shocked because it was something we hadn't seen at least right. in the pros. I mean, you've seen it in college, but, right? Uh, they they really took it by surprise, and they never kind of figured it out that whole game. They kept trying different things, and they couldn't stop it. Right. And that was a great game plan by Tony Sperano there. And uh, that, was a, uh, that was a shocker. Now, obviously, teams caught on to it later on in the season, but that was one of the signature moments between the Patriots and Dolphins. Well, I got to tell you, I know you weren't covering it this game here many years ago, but I was actually living in South Florida, I believe, at the time. I was going to college. But I remember when Ron Meyer ordered the snowplow guy out there yes. to kick that uh, field goal that amounted to a three to nothing win. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that one? <clears throat> because Miami and New England have had some interesting games through the years, and I'm actually pointing out two of the most intriguing ones in the history of that rivalry. Well, you know that that snowplow is hanging from the ceiling in uh, Patriots Team Hall of Fame in Gillette. Is it really? And. Uh, Yes, it is. It's hanging up there. And a funny story, my wife and I, <clears throat> we met John Smith, the kicker, who actually kicked that field goal, he's an Englishman, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, and we sat down and we were talking with him, 
and he said that uh, he used to do the Super Bowl on BBC in England, and he would do it every year with, with Don Shula, and every year they would show that clip before the Super Bowl started to introduce the two people, and that Shula would always say, okay, roll that stupid footage. <laughs> Right. And, you know, John Smith would say, you know, then they'd, they'd, uh, you know, they'd roll it. So uh, he said, you know, one year uh, as, a, as a gag, he had the picture of him kicking that field goal in the snow all blown up. And he autographed it to Don and he sent it to him. And uh, Don said, I'm going to hang this up in my steakhouse. This will be the only picture of the Patriots that will ever hang in one of my places. That's funny. <laughs> That is really funny. So with that said, okay, uh, what about the legend of Ron Meyer who actually orchestrated it and then the snowplow driver? Yeah, yeah Mark Henderson. Uh, right. He was on parole from Walpole State Prison. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was on parole from Walpole. And like uh, a couple of years ago, they, they tracked him down or whatever, and the press was asking him about it because every year around that time, they would try to find him, and he was like, hey, at the time, they said, you know, go out there, and he said, Shula was yelling at him, and he's like, what are they going to do, put me in jail? <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Oh, that is too hilarious. So, what about the legend of Ron Meyer? Is there ever any yeah, talk? Ron Meyer. Yeah, I actually met yeah. him years ago over at Super Bowl 33 when I was covering it in Miami, and Ron loved joking around about it. Then again, why not? He's the one who orchestrated the whole thing in the first place. <laughs> I thought he was a great coach. You know yeah, I, mean? I think so too. Yeah, I liked him. So I don't, I don't think he gets. I don't think he gets the credit that he probably deserves during during that time. No, I don't um, think so you know, either. I was, I was, you know, I was you know, twelve, thirteen, somewhere, around, yeah, somewhere around there. Um, he didn't get the credit that he deserved as, as a coach there. Definitely during that time. All right. No, I I thought he was a you know I thought he was a great coach. I mean, my, uh, Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. And I, I don't think a better guy ever handled the draft because the Patriots were the worst drafting team in the NFL by far until he got there. And then just today I was talking with someone about that. And uh, his very first draft, he had three first-round picks. And he drafted John Hanna, who's now in the Hall of Fame, uh, Sam Ben Cunningham, who still leads the Patriots in career rushing. And Daryl Stingley, whose uh, career, unfortunately, was cut short, you know. That yeah, I remember that hit, yeah. Jack Tatum, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, talk about a, a, a first-round home run, you know. That was uh, Chuck Fairbanks. In fact, um, I was talking with uh, Steve Nelson, who's in the Patriots Team Hall of Fame, and he was telling me that until Fairbanks, you know, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, when right. Parcells was down in – in Dallas with the Cowboys, he would bring Fairbanks in around draft time, and they'd talk about different prospects. 
Well, you know, it's amazing how you say that, too, because I remember when I got my first radio gig at WXYZ, the ABC affiliate in Detroit radio, I was doing sports talk. We tried to have uh, Jack Tatum on, and he stood us up at the last minute. Boy, what we had to do to fill airtime was unbelievable. So we were scrambling. We didn't have the Internet or all this other technology. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, that stuff happens in our business. So, you know, we talk about Belichick and Don Shula. Do you think another motivation, Steve, for Belichick to hang around is to break Don Shula's all-time record? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he, he probably won't admit it. Uh, publicly, but I know that, that he wants to break. Well, an irony here, and now I'm leading to the Detroit part of the questions because I can't leave my hometown roots, but the Lions have given up a lot of, have never hired a lot of great assistants that they should have had. I'll talk about Chuck Knox going to the Rams, Don Shula ultimately landing with the Dolphins slash the Colts, and yes, Bill Pelichek once upon a time was a assistant for the Detroit Lions, and now I'm getting depressed with every gaffe that they've made because uh, we're one of four teams like the Jaguars that haven't been to a Super Bowl. So with that said, okay, the Patriots' exile to the Detroit Lions began with Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia. Now I hear they got seven players uh, on that team. What are your thoughts about the Patriots' exile to the Detroit Lions? Do a lot of these players have anything left in the tank? Yeah, I, I think, again, uh, Matt Patricia was was a popular coach with uh, a lot of the defensive players. I think they a lot of them really liked playing for him. Um, that's why a lot of them ended up there, Trey Flowers, Deron Harmon, right. you know, amongst others. But I think that that's a big draw. And you're going to see uh, even more Patriots probably end up in Miami with, uh, with Brian Flores. Right. I, I, I think... A lot of it has to do with that, you know, with that draw from Matt Patricia. Uh, I know he struggled pretty bad so far up there as a head coach, and we'll have to see if he can turn it around. But uh, if he remains up there, I wouldn't be surprised if he snatches another player or two. Well, Bob Quinn's up there, and I know he's brought some of his people in from New England. But, you know, unlike, I don't know whether Doug Marone's in that category, but Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are, you better improve this team significantly, knowing full well that Matt Patricia inherited some good teams with Jim Caldwell uh, roaming the sidelines. So you talk about them trying to bring in a Super Bowl attitude toward Detroit, but it looks like they have regressed badly under this regime. Yeah, they have. And, uh, you know, the pressure's going to be on him this year. I think, you know, he got uh, kind of a pass to start off. But I, I think those days are over. And his seat's getting warm there. So it'll be time to, for the Lions to make, make some moves. You know, one of the guys I like to laugh at, and I'm sure you probably heard it, is Max Kellerman. I, I tend to wonder uh, uh, if he's had a mudslide every single time he goes on the air to think that the Lions would trade Matt Patricia to the Patriots. Really? I love Matt Patricia. I think he's been a heck of a quarterback. I hope he stays in this, uh, with the Lions his whole career. I believe he wants to. But can you imagine, though, if Matt Patricia would ever land in New England? Matt or Matt Stafford. Stafford, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Matt Patricia yeah. was, but Matt Stafford. Stafford. Uh, yeah, um, well, I don't watch Kellerman. I can't stand him. I, me either. Okay. That's probably why I got the wrong mats there, because all of a sudden I'm deliriously thinking about the mats. But, yeah, I'm with you all the way. But Matt Stafford, yeah, um, New England. 
I, I don't pay any attention to him. I think he's. Well, I'll say it for you, Steve. He's delusional. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he, him and uh, Nick Wright are the two guys. I, I just, I don't know how those two guys have a job, but hats off to them. They make a lot more money than I do. Right. So they must be doing something right. Yeah. However, uh, the Lions would be crazy to trade Matt Stafford to the Patriots because. Then, you know, who are they going to play in his place if they have a better quarterback? Right. And I, I think the answer is no. So why would they do that? What would be their motivation? Unless they're, oh, let's help out New England. Right. You know, and I just don't see that. Well, I, it's funny how you say that. I remember a long time ago, a different sport, when the Tigers went ahead and uh, had Randy Smith, his uh, father, Ty Smith, was with the Houston Astros. I can tell you the trades that went back and forth between those and how badly it set the Detroit Tigers franchise back. So uh, I'm talking about the Lions for a moment. Uh, what Do you think the Lions will be considerably improved uh, in 2020? No. No, okay. <laughs> I don't. I, I really don't. I think uh, uh, it's going to be tough for them to uh, – to make any moves in that division this year, I, I think uh, I think they're going to end up fourth again. I, I really yeah. do. I, I, I don't think they're going to jump over Chicago or uh, Minnesota, and I think Green Bay will probably take the division this year. But I could be wrong. No, well, I I believe that you're right. So you talked about the connection between Miami and uh, New England, and Kyle Van Noy got it going. So. You know, so obviously there's consistency with familiarity. And I think a lot of the moves that were attributed in free agency were attributed to familiarity, wouldn't you think, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and Ted Karras, who was the Patriots' backup center, but he started last year because of, excuse me, um, you know, David Andrews uh, had the blood clots and so he was out all season. The Patriots actually offered him an extra year and more money but he, he decided to bet on himself and went down to uh, Miami for a one-year deal, mainly because he believes in Flores. Right. So when you talk about when you talk about Brian Flores, what would you say are some of his uh, biggest strengths as a coach? I think uh, you know, talking to some of the players, Kyle uh, Van Noy said it. I think best, uh, Dr. Hightower as well. He made things simple for them. So, you know, he the way he teaches and the way he talks, he makes the game simple for the players. So, therefore, like Hightower said it one day after practice, with, he, he, with B-Flow, and he said when B-Flow, you know, puts out something to us, it allows us to do things a lot faster on the field. We don't have to overthink things. And I think that was a little bit of a, a dig at Matt Patricia. But at the same time, you know, the players really like playing for him. I think he still has that mentality as a former player himself, you know, um, that, you know, he knows what players need to hear from their coaches. And I think that's what he, you know, puts out to uh, the, the players under him and his assistant coaches. And I think that's the biggest thing is that he simplifies things for them. And, you know, they they know what's expected of them. 
Now, when Darius Slay left the Lions to go to the Philadelphia Eagles, it's not like he was, uh, you know, paying any compliments to Matt Patricia. Do you find that no. some of the compliment comments that Darius Slay were definitely online or just considered a cheap shot? Because you've been around Patricia. You know the coach a lot more than a lot of people. And Darius Slay, how do you let a great player go for practically next to nothing, a guy who's a Pro Bowl player? I didn't understand that move at all. I yeah. Mean, and, you know, at the time, you know, it was kind of, you know, when you see a comment like that, it, it's usually you can get taken back a little bit. But at the same time, I think you have to see it for what it is. And I think, you know, Patricia was wrong. And so I, I'm going to side on the side of Barry Slater. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I don't know how you could take shots at players, much less abuse social media if indeed that's what took place because, my goodness, whatever happened to that point where you just go out there and you sit and try to talk it out in the coach's office and try to get your differences worked out because that there's a lot of ways to communicate, but I'm not so sure that's the way to do it for sure. No, and, you know, from what we read about that situation, I think Patricia was totally in the wrong there. Oh, yeah. If, if that's the way it played out, if that's, you know, how it truly happened, he was totally wrong there, and that's not the way to build a team. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys that coached under Belichick, they know Belichick is, is a tough guy to play for. But at the same time, you know, we've seen, you know, he's a teacher, and he's not going to, you know, he'll demean guys in the, in the film room when the team's in there, and Teddy Bruschi mentioned that one day, because he was like, oh, who's, they used to call it getting MF'd, you know? Right. And he's like, who's going to get MF'd today? You know, and uh, if somebody made, you know, he said, we might have won by 30 points, but if somebody on the defense made a bad play or they made a mistake, and they'd all be laughing, well, it's your turn to get MF'd, you know? Yeah, I... I, I, I agree with you all the way, Steve. How do you go ahead? I hate it when somebody tries to call somebody out uh, amongst a group of people. That is, to me, as classless as you can get. It really is. And so with that said, Matt Patricia went into Detroit as a defensive coach. How could the Lions be so poor on the defensive side of the ball? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I just, you know, well, letting guys like Darius Slay go, I think is a big, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, like I said, I think Patricia's under the gun this year. Oh yeah, he's going to have to have a good draft, and he's going to have to turn things around. I mean, they're going to have to be very competitive this year if he wants to be in Detroit next year. I, I really, I mean, you know, they don't have to maybe win every one of their games, but they're going to have to they're going to have to be in all of them and. You know, like that, that whole Darius Slate thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, he ripped his coach maybe a little too hard, but, you know, like I said, whatever came about from that, if half of what he was saying is true, that's, uh, that's not a good look. Well, and the thing is, when coaches leave the Lions, there's a history that many of the head coaches don't get hired again as a head coach. Eh? You know, if you know the mystique behind that. You know, and Joe Schmidt, never uh, one of the best line coaches in a long time. Jim Caldwell actually left there with a winning record. So, and again, 
Matt Patricia, I think for him to stay as head coach, the Lions must win 9 to 10 games or he's gone uh, because that fan base is so desperate. And they're a great sports town, a great football town. So when we talk about some of Belichick's other, uh, his coaching tree, which one do you, do you feel has actually done the best? I know, what are your thoughts about Bill O'Brien in the second half of the question? You could probably answer that one, whatever order you prefer. Yeah, you know, I, I think Bill O'Brien's done a good job of uh, coaching the Texans. I, at the same time, I think, you know, when you look at that roster, I think they might, you could make the argument they could possibly be a little bit better. But then again, you know, again, the same thing happened. Why in the world would they trade, you know, DeAndre Hopkins? That's I a mean, mystery. <laughs> uh, and, you know, O'Brien tried to clear it up. Uh, I thought he just made it even more muddier right. by saying, well, he wanted a lot more money. Well, you know, he's he, he's arguably the, you know, one of the top two or three receivers in the NFL. And, you're going to have to pay for those kind of guys. Right. You, you have a young quarterback who's, you know, ready to lead your team, I think, you know, and, and deep into playoff runs for years to come. Right. You have one of the top receivers in the NFL. Why in the world would you trade him one and two? I don't think they got half of what they should have got for him. So, Michael Irvin's the one that supposedly talked to Hopkins, and you know, take it for whatever it's worth. I don't know if Irvin is a reliable source, Hall of Fame player. But when you heard the Irvin version of that conversation with DeAndre Hopkins and all the, I don't know, when we talk about Watergate, I'm wondering if the cover-up is worse than the crime. So how do you assess that whole situation in general, knowing that there's a pattern amongst some of these Belichick uh, assistants that want to try to become copycats and, you know, because only Belichick can only duplicate what he does, but how do his, uh, we don't have a Xerox machine of coaches that think they can win the same way because we all know that talent's different. So talk about the Michael Irvin comments on whether you thought they were credible or not. Because that, to me, to make that stuff up is pretty difficult to do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and again, I mean, you know, I, I know Michael Irvin, is, he's going to uh, – He's going to take the, the side of the wide receiver because, I mean, obviously, you know, that's I mean, that's what he was. And But at the same time, uh, you know, you, you have to look at that situation, the way it played out. And, you know, Michael Irvin's going to go on television and, and talk about that. I, I really don't think he's making it up. I don't either. I, I don't know how I you can. I mean. You know, you're talking about a guy in the he's wearing a gold jacket he's you know he's on the NFL network he's right. going on ESPN and he's talking about you know what happened there I, I just don't think he's making it up I don't either I, I, there, there's stories Steve you can make up and then there's some stories you can't make up, and I'm finding, unless you're in Hollywood, okay, and you're uh, working with the Actors Guild, and you're trying to do a small screen, big screen, that stuff is hard to script. It really is. I mean, and, you know, he, he went there. I mean, he talked about O'Brien bringing up Aaron Hernandez and Baby Mamas. And really? Like, oh, my God. I mean, he, he didn't talk around it where he was just, you know, kind of giving a little... Uh, a hint of something here or there. 
he went right there and, and went there with it, you know, talking about Aaron Hernandez. I mean, oh my God, that's not, that's not the way to win friends and influence people. No, that's for sure. So you bring up Aaron Hernandez. I know it's hard to bring that up. But I think it was very tragic about the way things played out with him. Uh, did you have an opportunity to talk to Aaron Hernandez? And what kind of a player was he or a person? No, I never actually spoke with him. But, uh, you know, we, we watched him from a distance, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sure. Um, but the one thing that stood out with him, you know, all the players kind of, you know, on the sidelines and training camp and in the locker room, you know, they, they have their own little, I don't want to say cliques, but they have their own little groups. Right. They would, you know, the hang, hang with. And Hernandez was always kind of a solitary dude. You know, yeah, he might talk with some of the tight ends when they're off the field, but, you know, you never really saw them interact with him like they, you know, you'd see with some of the other guys. And, Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then we heard about some of the things that were going on with him. And then it all kind of sunk in. But he was always kind of a solitary guy. I don't think he ever really gelled uh, with his teammates the way they do with the rest of the guys, I think. Okay, I've got a few more questions. First of all, how does Bill Belichick turn into David Copperfield trying to go ahead and take complicated personalities and make them winners? Randy Moss went in there, and, you know, Corey Dillon, I'll bet there's a bunch of other ones, although he, he wasn't a miracle worker with Antonio Brown. But uh, <laughs> then again, I don't think anybody could, got, no matter what this guy says and thinks he's going to try to do, that's facade. But how does Bill Belichick manage to do it? knowing full well that he has a certain way of rehabilitating these guys. I, I'll tell you, because Randy Moss was a great soldier there, you know, and Corey Dillon, you go there for the ring and you take and you do what you've got to do. But tell me, how, explain the dynamics of that one. Well, you know, I, with some of the guys, I mean, Bill talks to them and, you know, he tells them, hey, look, uh, we think you're a great football player, but you have to put the team above yourself. And if you do that, you know, we're going to have an opportunity to play for a championship. And, you know, Corey Dillon came in. He had the reputation of a malcontent. He came to New England. Um, that was before I covered the team. But, I mean, right. watching him from afar, I mean, he was a, a good soldier. And he, he he put his nose to the grindstone. He had a tremendous year. That 2004 season, I think he ran for like 1,500 yards. Right. And... And, I mean, their, their running game was tremendous. I remember uh, Charlie Weiss was saying, you know, there was one game when they were just piling up the yards on the on the ground and then the opposing uh, team called a timeout and, and Brady came over and was talking with Charlie Weiss and said, are we ever going to throw the ball again? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as much as it works for guys like Corey Dillon and uh, – 
you know, Randy Moss when he got there. Uh, it didn't work for guys like Albert Hainsworth. Right. You know, uh, as much as Chad Ocho Cinco tried to fit in, he never he never grasped this offense. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't for lack of trying on his part, but we've seen it with other guys. I mean, you know, he brought in Joey Galloway. That didn't work out. Right. You know, other guys. I mean, uh, Delpho O'Neill. You know, it, he's had his swings and misses. Yeah, well, uh, I got to tell you, Garrett Blunt wasn't a bad one, though, either, was he? Now, here's a guy no. that uh, was an interesting personality and a power runner. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I got a, a couple of opportunities. Uh, Garrett Blunt was, when he was here, was heavily involved with the Patriots uh, alumni and the uh, charitable organization. And, you know, they would go out and they'd play charity basketball games against them. The police departments for uh, certain little towns around central Massachusetts area. And they would do it every spring and summer before training camp. And I got to talk with him, and he just, uh, he adored Bill Belichick. He I, thought the sun rose and set on him. I've got to, I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you a guy that should have a business school named after him, Steve, is Charlie Weiss. How do you get all that money from all these different places after you leave New England? <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame, Kansas, and, and what is his winning percentage? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and Charlie was another one of those guys, great coordinator. Yeah. Wasn't a good head coach once he left. Same with uh, Romeo Cornell, I think. Right. You know, Romeo just retired last year. Tremendous defensive coordinator. You know, when, uh, when the three of them were together, Belichick and Romeo Cannell, Charlie Weiss, that's the Patriots the first three Super Bowls. Right. You know, they, they gelled together tremendously. And uh, But, you know, what makes a good coordinator doesn't always make a great head coach. And Romeo struggled when he was a head coach as well. If you had to come up with six Patriots, and I know you have a big list there, of your, the six best uh, Patriots that you uh, – who would be your uh, best six? Well, I'd say uh, Andre Tippett was first. Okay. Um, and that was the era as, as I was growing up, right? And Tippett, John Hanna, um, those two guys, uh, obviously Brady. Um, Rob Gronkowski, without a doubt. Um, um, I, I'd say Troy Brown, because he was an uh, underdog and uh, he was just like the typical um, overachiever, you know. Um, he, he just did everything that the team always asked of him. He even played a little defense one year. Um, I think you have to put Wes Walker in there. I know a lot of fans have revisionist history on Wes Walker because of that drop in the Super Bowl. Right. But when Wes Walker was with the Patriots, he was incredibly productive. Right. And... Um, one of my favorite players, and I know a lot of people didn't like him, What's was that? Rodney Harrison. Oh, I liked him. I'm okay with him. Hard hitter. Yeah. And, and again, he was a guy that just adored Belichick when he came here. Right. And uh, totally bought into what they were doing. And Bill brought him in for a reason, because he thought the team was getting a little complacent. Right. And, you know, his very first practice, Rodney Harrison started a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> like that. 
So the Patriots are two minutes away from an undefeated season. Tell me what that was like, knowing that they had it so close. 19-0 and would have been unbelievable. So can you tell me what it felt like for the New England era, that you were that close, close to eclipsing Tom Shula in that sense, knowing that that would have been, his, that would have been an unbelievable history, only for uh, Eli Manning to uh, uh, blow it all for you? It's funny, I I was at uh, my brother-in-law's house. We had the game on a big projector on this wall where the, the screen was about 20 feet tall. Uh, we're smoking cigars, we're yelling and screaming during the game. Cause it looked like, like you said, you know, the Patriots go down and score, and it looks like they're going to, you know, hold on. And then it looked like, uh, I think it was Vince Wolfork was going to sack Eli Manning, and I was thinking, that's the ball game. Right. And he got away. But just before that, I had that harbinger of, uh, of doom because Eli threw an easy pick, and it went right through the hands of, uh, what's his name now? Now I'm drawing a blank on the cornerback. That's all right. Oh, my God. Because um, he, he admitted afterwards, he was more uh, – Concerned that week with getting his big payday when he left right. as a free agent, and uh, uh, David Tyree. No, well, uh, the the Patriots corner. Oh, uh, okay, the corner. I'm sorry. The Tyree catch. Right. Gotcha. The Tyree catch was on actually Robbie Harrison. Oh, was it? Was, okay. Uh, uh, Asante Samuel. Oh, there you go. Uh, uh, just before that, Eli threw it right in the Samuel's Asante Samuel's hands. And it went right through his hands. Because I was thinking at the time, that's it. They're going to close this game out. They're going to go 19-0. And, and then I was as soon as Samuel dropped that, I was like, uh-oh. You never give a team a second chance because it usually comes back to bite you. Gosh. And then when Eli got away from, I think it was Wolford, and then he heaved that ball up there, and then Rodney couldn't knock it away. As soon as Tyree caught that, they were still, you know, uh, what, 25, 30 yards away. Right. And I was like, they're going to lose. And that's it. The handwriting's on the wall. The Giants are going to win this game. And yet, ironically, I know you got, your cities are separated by off of I-95. The Giants beat the Patriots in dramatic fashion twice. How, how much of those losses really sting, knowing that uh, they were that close and it came down to one dramatic catch in both instances? Yeah, the other one, Mario Manningham. You know, it's right. funny, I was on a giant show. <clears throat> excuse me. I was on a giant show uh, just before that Super Bowl, and uh, I was talking with the guys there, and they were like, oh, you must hate the fact that, you know, that they're playing the Giants. And I was like, well, actually, I said, growing up, I said, I'm older than you guys. Be before the merger, you know, the Patriots didn't have a team in the NFL. Right. We had the AFL, mm -hmm. and there was the NFL, and the, the NFL games were on CBS, and the right. AFL was, was on NBC, and, you know, we got all the Giants games. I said, I grew up being a Giants fan in mm -hmm. the NFL, and then, of course, we'd watch the Patriots when they weren't blacked out, right. because in those days, a lot of the home games were. I said, yeah. no, I, I knew all the Giants players, so they put me on the spot, and they were like, name five guys from that. Because they said, what year you first started watching right. football? And I said, 67. 
I mean, you know, like, name me five guys, and I named about eight guys on the starting offense. <laughs> and they were like, okay. <laughs> well, Steve, I got to tell you, I was at Super Bowl 39 in Jacksonville and covered it. It was unbelievable. It really oh, was. Wow. Yeah, I was. It was a, uh, the hotel accommodations were no good. Uh, I, and I knew that, so I had to take my Jeep Cherokee Laredo and found a rest area. And the way I was able to get a shower over the rest area was, I, I since I had access to the media center, I'd get a couple of media guides. The guy would give me his key to get me in. And, boy, that was a very interesting situation nonetheless. Uh, uh, that's that's a story for the ages in, in David's hometown. With that said, when you talk about dramatic catches, the one that really stands out to me in my NFL career as a writer was when I was actually at the Detroit Lions Green Bay Packers game and Aaron Rodgers threw that Hail Mary and I just was in the uh, media room at the time I was telling my colleague George Eichhorn you know George I got a bad feeling about this game ironically it was on my wife's birthday and uh, my mother-in-law had just died uh, weeks prior and I told George you know I got a bad feeling about this and he says why because I've seen this drill too many times I don't know what's going to happen what do you think Uh, Aaron Rodgers goes deep and as a result, the Lions go down. Oh, my goodness. So when you yeah, talk about yeah. dramatic catches, <laughs> God, goodness. So, so and finally, okay, let's talk about a prediction as to, under the way things are now. What type of a record could you see the 2020 New England Patriots? I realize they have the draft and free agency in particular, other moves. But as you see it on this date, we're going to check back with you as time goes on to see uh, whether or not this changes a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, with Belichick still at the helm, I think this is a team that could go eight and seven, maybe uh, eight and eight and nine and seven. I, I, I think they could still do that. I think they'll be competitive because you know the way that it seems like they're building the team, they're kind of taking a uh, page out of that two thousand one playbook. So they will. They're trying to get. They're trying to get a big physical defense. They want the running game to. Uh, carry the offense and you know they're going to make things easy for their quarterback and take the pressure off if they can do all those things they should stay competitive I, I don't think 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven is out of the realm of possibility for them and a lot of it will depend on Jared Stidham because there's so you know little real uh, tape on him uh, we saw him in training camp right? You know, and, and as a rookie quarterback he had his good days. He had his bad days. All rookies do that. In uh, preseason, he looked good. And right. In his one, you know, uh, moment in the regular season, he looked real bad. Right. But, uh, you know, I tell people, don't read too much into that. Go back and watch Tom Brady's first game. This the Detroit Lions. Yeah. And, uh, in 2000, and he didn't look great either. Well, so does eight and eight, nine and seven get you in the playoffs then? Nine and seven might. Um, yeah. But you know, it, it's tough to say. I mean, now there's you know, I think Buffalo's going to win the division. I think the, the Jets and Dolphins are going to be improved. And <laughs> excuse me, um, it's going to be a tough. The Patriots have a tough schedule this year. Yeah, they do. And of course, the Jimmy Garoppolo effect. How much are they chomping? Uh, biting their tongue about the fact that Jimmy's uh, no longer there since I think Belichick thought he probably might be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Right, absolutely. And uh, I like Jimmy because I thought he was a cool customer. 
Yeah. You know, the funny thing about him was he wasn't a great practice quarterback. He used to make a lot of mistakes in practice, and everyone would groan like, oh, my. And then, But then when he'd get in the game, you know, he'd tighten that stuff up. And uh, Matt Castle was the same way when he was Brady's backup. The year that he took over for Brady in 2008, I couldn't believe they kept him. He had one of the worst training camps in preseasons I've ever seen. Right. And I, we were all scratching our heads why Belichick kept him. And then, you know, um, I thought he played pretty well in 2008. He wasn't great, but he was. I thought he did well. That's amazing. How you know what GMTA stands for, Steve? Great minds think alike because I was about to throw that reference at you. I'm giving you a lot of interesting one-liners and all that stuff to go on. So with that said, and the one of the famous lines that anybody could go out there and say in New England, okay, uh, as Rick Pitino would say, Larry Bird ain't walking through that door, and this guy ain't walking through that door, and it doesn't look like Matt Castle's walking through that door uh, because 11-5 and five wouldn't look so bad at this particular point. So with that said, Folks, you're listening to uh, coverage of the Sports Exchange. My name is Scott Morgan Roth. My co-host is David Levin, and we're delighted to have Steve Ballesteri on the line. And, Steve, while we have an opportunity to close out the broadcast, what I'd like you to do is let everybody know how they can get a hold of you, follow you, and uh, make a few friends with you because you've been sensational. You've given me so many ideas. I feel like the Energizer Buddy that I can't stop and stop and stop. But at some point, we have to stop and stop it and stop. So we end up going across those initials, TBD or TBC, to be continued down the L-I-N-E. With that said, how can they get a hold of you, Steve? Well, thank you for having me on. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. Uh, you can find me uh, my work on patsfans.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at CB7SFG. Um, I also write uh, from the military on softrep.com. I, I cover military subjects uh, with the special operations side of the house because that was my uh, specialty when I was in the Army for 17 years. So uh, I'm always out there. And thank you for your service, Steve. Thank you. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. It's like uh, it's not often you get to change, uh, you know, careers in mid-stride, but I was able to do that, and it's been a blast. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, I'm sure. My dad was in the military uh, for a lot of years, so I commend anybody out there. So, meanwhile, folks, I hope you've enjoyed tonight's edition of the Sports Exchange. You know, and Steve, you've been a great guest, and we look forward to having you on uh, down the line, and hopefully you can provide us some good updates up in the New England area. We have a pretty good market up there, and we want to make sure that this broadcast is obviously a national broadcast and it can be heard on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Spotify, and Google so that uh, we ask everybody if you like the broadcast, share it, download it, subscribe. And again, Steve, I can't thank you very much for spending uh, your evening with us tonight. So on behalf of uh, Steve Ballesteri, my name is Scott Morgan, Roth the Motor City Madmouth. Uh, certainly, obviously, Madmouth because Steve's gotten an earful uh, with me the last while. And David Levin, well, you know, what can I say, pal? Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking football, and I've really, really enjoyed this opportunity. So, meanwhile, everybody, once again, please be safe out there. Do what you're, uh, everybody's asking you to do. Uh, and, again, we hope that we've given you an opportunity to uh, listen to our broadcast. You've learned a lot. 
and gain some insights and more important have a diversion for what you're out there doing so meanwhile guys thank you very much for being on the broadcast and have a great night everybody good night